Ecclesiastes is a tough book. It's a tough book to get through. It's a tough book to read because sometimes you got to figure out whether is the thing I'm reading the right thing to think. Now, some of you who grew up in a certain tradition or in a certain path may hear me say that about the Bible and go, wait a second, it's the Bible. Well, the, the Bible is full of people who say things. There's people who yelled, crucify Jesus in the Bible. And that's not the words of, that's not what God wants to say. There's friends of Job, as we talked about last week, who give advice to Job. And it's not good advice, but it's in the Bible. So when someone quotes Job and says, well, here's what you should think, uh, that might not be the right thing. Sometimes the Bible uses negative negative insights or negative thoughts to express what is proper. There's times that Paul in his writings say, well, yeah, I, I can do all things, but not all things are good for me. He's quoting other people and making fun of them. That, the Bible would be better off if there was a sarcasm font, like, a, like italics or something, or where the, where the things are loop-de-looped, or smi- smile, like emojis would be better. They would help us understand, because you're just writing words, and words are hard to understand without inflection. English especially is really hard to understand without inflection. So if I send you a text that says, my in-laws are coming this weekend. That could be taken in two different ways. It could be, my in-laws are coming this weekend. We can't do that. My in-laws are coming this weekend. Or it could be, no, we can't do that. My in-laws are coming this weekend. There's, there's two different ways to view words, and inflection really helps you sort of figure out what they're talking about. And with the two speakers, there's two people speaking in Ecclesiastes. There's, there's the author who wrote all this down, and then there's Kohelet, or the teacher. Kohelet actually is a Hebrew word for the gatherer, someone who gathers people together. In this instance, it was to teach them. And so the author starts off and says, here are the words of Kohelet, a great and wise man. And then Kohelet spends 11 chapters saying, nothing's good. No, nothing's good. You can work really hard and get really rich. And then guess what? Your life ends. You can have a status that, that you, are, you are blessed and, it, and life can, people can think great things of you. People People can, and you can live a long life. And guess what? It goes away. You can be healthy, but eventually you won't be. Like all of life, he says, everything under the sun is meaningless. And he says over and over again, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Or vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. Better translated, it's the meaning, most meaningless of all meaninglessnesses. Life is meaningless. Now, we, we kind of, we, you, can, you might be saying, hold on there, Colette. That's a bit nihilistic. And you're right. Some of you might be saying, Colette, uh, what does nihilistic mean? 
Um, it just means like, in the end, everything just goes away. You got a fish. Good. There's a, a comedian. <laughs> the fish uh, left the thought. The fish is eventually going to live in an aquarium and then in a sewer. Like that's the process of a fish's life. And Kohelet sees that with a human life. One of my uh, favorite comedians says, uh, you shouldn't get people flowers because it's like saying, hey, here, watch these die. You're next. Like it's, it's such an odd gift. You should get, be getting those for your enemies. Here, yeah, there you go. Like that. You're going to do that later. So the, these, like we, we have a sense of right now is very important. And that, that is true. Right now is very important. But a lot of times we think about What's in the future is like, well, if I could just get there, if I if we could just get to a place. Well, you're never going to get to the place unless you're good in the place you've got. And when you get there, guess what? There's more. Well, we got here, but, you know. Do you remember the first time you saw the ocean? Those of you who've seen the ocean. It's crazy, right? I remember being so excited. We were just peering over the horizon, looking to see it. And I was 20. I, was, I, was, I wasn't a young pup. I was, like a, I was in college, and I came home, and my parents said, we're going on vacation. And we went on vacation, and we were just like looking, trying to see. And it was Alabama. We'd been in Alabama long enough. And we wanted to see the ocean. And we finally saw the ocean, and there it is. Like it's cool and everything, but it's like, imagine a bathtub that went on forever, and the bathtub had things that could really hurt you or kill you. You want to get in? No. People die in there. Watch out for jellyfish. Oh, what do you do if someone, one of them stings you? Well, you got it, and then they tell you. And you're like, oh, no. Vinegar or urine will heal a jellyfish wound. So, like, it's, it's awesome. But then you're looking for an Applebee's. And you've seen an Applebee's before. So, like, everything, everything in life is like that. You'll get a hobby and you'll say, this is, this is my new thing. I'm going to start gardening. Well, eventually you'll, you'll get used to it. It'll be a, to- a task some days and it'll be a joy others. If we could just, what? I don't know how many times I've had people sit in my office, married, married couples sit in my office, just people who are grieving sit in my office and say, I just want to get back to normal. As if there's such a thing. There's no normal. There's no, like, there's no aspiration that once you get there, like once I get to this place, I'll be fine. Because once you get to that place, there's other problems there and so on and so forth. And Kohelet's point to a certain extent, is all the stuff under the sun 
can be frustratingly without meaning. You have a child. And there's nothing crazier than creating a person. Just, there's a person now. A new person, all of a sudden. And then you get the person home and they can't survive without you. And they're like a college student. They sleep all day and then stay up all night. They've got their days and nights switched. And you're you're trying to get them to sleep and you're singing them. And you're like... The Clara, when she was real little, hated, like, would cry when we sang Jesus Loves Me to her. Because she associated that with the stress of, Jesus loves me, then I go to sleep. And all of a sudden, you're shaking your baby, and you don't even know it. Like, it, you, you're like, that happened fast. I'm not supposed to do that. And every new beautiful thing has a new beautiful challenge. And I think sometimes the way we define normal is I want the new and beautiful things without the new and beautiful challenges. And that's never going to happen. Ever. And I think Coilette wanted that to happen. And so there's an extent to which he goes a little overboard with his teaching. We call it hyperbole. He exaggerates to make a point. Now, I think the author thinks that he wasn't exaggerating and he was just kind of a little off. He was wrong to a certain extent. So the author finishes up and uh, sums him up and says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, or says Kofilet. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. That means he collected uh, books. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Okay, real quick. Here he's saying about these teachings in Ecclesiastes, they can help us go in the right direction, but if you just leave a goat in, it doesn't do any good. If your life was completely about, well, it's all just meaningless. Look, a newborn baby. Like if you went and saw someone's new baby and said, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. What's its name? I don't care. They're telling you the dimensions of the kid. They always got to give you the dimensions. They do, don't they? Next time they're like, it was, it was six pounds, seven ounces, 18 inches long. You're like, how much water does it displace? What's its volume? Sorry, some things I should just think and then move on. 
But like you can't you can't be like that all the time or no one literally no one's going to like you. And you're not going to get a lot done in the present if you're talking about how meaningless the past and the future is. When someone gets a promotion, it's all meaningless and worthless. Well, yes, it is, but and that can be a goad, it can be a it can be something to spur you on to like better and hopeful thoughts. But if you dwell in meaninglessness, you're not going to get to the meaningful. It can be kind of a, a spark to wake you up. Let me just put myself in the proper perspective for a second. And then... I can do some meaningful things. He said, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now, he's not saying don't study. But you can get so caught up in your own head so caught up in meaningless little controversies that you're not a good human. Then he says, the verse we probably know the most out of Ecclesiastes, now all has been heard here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. That's it. All has been said. Here's, here's what Kohelet missed. Fear God and keep his commandments. So notice, our life is more than just what's under the sun. We have a bigger life than that. Man was made, the fullness of man's life is fearing God and keeping his commandments. Now let's talk about fear for a second. Um, fear to us is a difficult word because we associate it with being afraid. Like those are the only connecting words. But this particular word uh, doesn't isn't just associated with that, although that could happen because there were times that the people of Israel were afraid of God, and he was fine with it. But fear, when we fear something, what we're, what we're saying is, I am aware of what this thing is capable of, and I don't, and, and typically we'll, we'll think, and what it's capable of is really bad. So if a kid's afraid of a dog, some adults are afraid of dogs. We don't say we're afraid of dogs. We say, I, I'm not a dog person. You know, that, don't jump on me. Kid's afraid of a dog. They're not afraid that dogs exist. They're afraid that dogs will jump on them or get too... They'll, they'll, the dog might bite me. The dog might jump on me. That dog's giant and it stinks or whatever. People are afraid of heights. Not, and when people are afraid of heights, they don't see a height and think, oh, I'm afraid of that. That'd be as silly as being afraid of wits. 
You're afraid of heights because there's something that could happen. You're afraid that you're going to jump. You're afraid of gravity and heights. You're afraid of what a height is capable of. You understand what something is capable of and you respect it. A mouse is going to run around. And you don't want it to. Because you'll have to jump on top of a table. Whatever it is. So, like, we're not afraid of the thing. We're afraid of what the fear is being, is understanding what the thing is capable of and respecting it enough to keep some distance. Fearing God is understanding what God is capable of. And for God's sake, it's a lot of good things. God's capabilities are grace. They are wrath. They are anger. But they are grace and mercy and forgiveness. So when I fear God in this sense, I'm not just saying, Oh God, please don't strike me dead. Lord, I, I, I think I've prayed for all of my sins and I don't want you. God's not anxious to condemn us. God is not excited about, about convicting us and calling us guilty. God is capable of some very good things. Fearing God is worshiping God. When you worship God, you are respecting what God is capable of. Every prayer, uh, um, we had this this morning. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Every prayer you have, I would argue, most of your prayers need to kick, get rid of the, um, get rid of the, the parts where you're saying, and here's my wish list. And need to just be, God, you are good and holy and powerful. Amen. I would argue, and this is just my little advice, if it doesn't work for you, it works for me. If it doesn't work for you, then you can leave it alone. But I would argue you wake up and you say, you, you give God the praise that he's due in your head. And then just let it ride. The rest of the day is my interaction with God just throughout the day. I invite God to be present in my walk. Whether and whether I'm going, dear Lord, like I'm just, is this a good thing? Is this something I should be feeling? Is this when I, and when I have those inward conversations, I'm not having them by myself. I'm having them with a God who's capable of some amazing things and he's capable of them with me. God is powerful and worthy of our worship. And I would argue that the more we worship God, the more we'll keep his commandments. The more we give God glory, the more God will spur us on to keeping his commandments. And that's it. That's all we've got to do today. Worship God, keep his commandments. Now, for us, the commandments are really hard. They're not easy, and they're not going to be easy. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Fear God, keep his commandments is an Old Testament way of saying a New Testament thing 
Love God, love others. That's really hard. Others stink. <laughs> I'm not going to sell anyone out, but someone just, some of you take notes. Someone just wrote that down. Others stink. That, they, they do. They're difficult. Have you ever heard someone, that, have you ever heard that someone said something about you? It could just be mediocre. It could just be, yeah, someone said this about Benjamin. Well, that's like just sort of a bland thing. I wish they wouldn't talk about me. Even if it's harsh, the same thing occurs. Even if, sometimes if it's good. We were talking about you, it was real good. I bet it wasn't all good. I bet it was, yeah, yeah, Benjamin's Benjamin. That's never positive. You hear, when you hear that, you think people, people aren't nice all the time. Sometimes they're not, they're not nice and they don't even mean to be nice. And I'm called to love those people all the time. I'm, I'm called to love them so much that I forgive them immediately and don't talk about it in a sermon. I'm called to love those people on such a level that it changes their life as much as it changes mine. And I can't love them like that unless I'm experiencing the love God has for me like that. I can't keep his commandments unless I'm worshiping him. And I'm not worshiping him very well if I'm not keeping his commandments. They're two hands of the same activity. Worshiping God, fearing God, loving God, keeping God's commandments, loving others. If you're having trouble worshiping, then keep his commandments. And let one improve the other. If you're having trouble keeping his commandments, worship him more. Let one improve the other. It's just going to work in a cycle like that. There's going to be times you're really good at one and times you're, really, you're not very good at the other. Sometimes you're really good at the other, not very good at the one. And Satan's going to want to tell you over and over again, oh yeah, you're really bad at that one. And God's just cheering you on at the one you're killing it at. Because God knows focusing on the one that, focusing on loving others or focusing on worshiping God will help you love others, will help you worship God. They're not two separate things, fearing God and keeping his commandments. They're not different from one another. They work in tandem. Sing your part and God will sing his. Do your thing and God will do his. Do what you're called to do. Right now, this day, I, I am so thankful for a group of people who love each other here. We're not uniformed, right? We look different. 
A lot of us look not here this morning. Some people set their clocks ahead two hours. We look, we look different from one another. We think differently. But we love each other. And people will come to this church and tell me, you can just feel a connection with God there. What they mean is, the people there love me. And by them being loved by us, they felt loved by God. And when they feel like we're all loving God together, they feel a part of that and they feel like we're loving them. You can't separate it. And so everything under the sun is meaningless, but once God enters the picture, once we've got stuff going on above the sun, not just in this world, but in worlds to come, we'll find some meaningful things. And typically the meaningful thing is just right here in front of me. Whether it's my spouse, my kids, my job, whatever I'm doing, I do it as I love God and keep his commandments. As I fear God, worship God, keep his commandments. I don't keep his commandments because I'm afraid of God. I am afraid of God if God gets on, if, 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 God, if I'm in God's way, right? There is a sense of, I don't stand in the way of God. Because that's not a, that's not a good place to be. God's mission will go on, whether I'm in its way or not. I can't stop what the redemptive, forgiving, merciful, loving mission of God. So that redemptive, loving, merciful, forgiving mission of God will flatten me out if I stand in its way. But what we are called to do by, by the author, I think, here predominantly is to see our meaninglessness be infused by the meaningfulness of God. And put life into these bones. Bring joy into the soul. And bring love into the community. Church can be meaningless. Did you know that? We come, we sit, we sing. We can get into a rhythm. We can check some boxes. We can do our thing. We can sing the words and not even know the words. You infuse that with the Spirit of God. And in the end, without God, communion is an insufficient snack. But with God, it's, the, it's, a mem- it's, it's, it's sitting around the table with the king. Without God, prayer is just babbling on. Prayer is the talk of a crazy person. 
Without God, singing is just, especially the way we do it, is just weird. I mean, can you imagine if in a world where someone didn't understand church, they knew nothing of God, and you went to them and said, hey, uh, about 150 to 200 of us are getting together this Sunday and just singing together. Oh, really? Like, I don't play any instruments. Oh, we don't have none of those. We have one sometimes. <laughs> That's a note, everyone. Right here. That's a little low. We're going to pitch it a little higher right there. We have that. You would say, well, why, why are y'all doing that? We like to. We're good at it. You'll like it. No, that sounds awful. At the, at, the wor- at the best, it sounds a little odd. But you infuse God into what we, the fear of God and the love for others into what we do. We sing together to God because we love each other and we love God. And all of a sudden, the things we're doing aren't meaningless, they're meaningful. Your life lived could be meaningless. If it's just lived under the sun. And it's really tempting for me as a preacher to give, you know, have one of those. But it's meaningful if you're following the sun. But I'm not going to do that. Because I'm not a church sign. But you get where I'm going. If you're following the king, if you're letting, if you're letting another world determine your meaning, you're... Your life can be meaningful, but if you let this world determine your meaning, your life is meaningless. All kind of just boils down to fear God, worship God, love God, and keep his commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. For that second commandment is just like the first. They work in tandem. They work together. If you need anything this morning, if you feel like your life has been meaningless without God, And you need the meaning. If you want to unite with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, you want to confess him as your king, your savior, your Messiah, your Lord. Or if you just need, like you've got that thing, you need to change, and you need the church to help you change it. A church that won't judge you, a church that won't think less of you, a church that will love you right where you sin. And you need just the prayers of that church. Please come forward while we stand and sing.